Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Princess Mononoke, Silver in the Wood by Emily Tesh, and Ursula K. Le Guin's story, Vaster Than Empires and More Slow. And welcome to episode 94, Into the Woods. I'm Alex, and I am a willow tree. I'm Freya, and I am a fuchsia plant. I'm Macy, and I am not kelp, because kelp is not a plant. I am hawthorn. Oh, honorary Is plant. it not a plant? Kelp is algae. I feel like that counts as it's sort of not plant. A, it's, it's, d- d- oh, seagrass I is see a plant. Seagrass is the only underground. happening here. <laughs> I mean, it's green, so it's a plant. Amazing. Freya, please. Green, so a plant. Perfect. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. <laughs> Botanicists. Botanicists. And today, if we can manage to not tear each other to pieces over taxonomical arguments no. about what constitutes a plant, we might be able to have an episode about forests and uh, the role of the wilderness in mythology. Uh, but before we get into all of that, fellow serpents, what have we been reading lately? Well... I am going to recommend oh a fanfic. <laughs> Drumroll, please. Gus has fucking ruined my life with this fic, Yes, Freya. You yes. can talk about it, because I refuse. I will. Thank you, Macy. I will indeed talk about it. I have been reading a fanfic called A Kind of Dwell and Welcome by Lethagus. This is as yet a work in progress, but it's being posted at a very reasonable rate, and I have a secret source, by which I mean the author, and I know that it is almost finished and is going to be posted post-haste. This is a Ted Lasso fic, and Mm. the central pairing is Ted Lasso, Trent Crim, The Independent, who has to always be announced by his full title, Trent Crim, The Independent. Uh, It is a fantastic, really sweet, very funny story about two middle-aged men falling in love and attempting to navigate their feelings and working in sports and small children, and it's quite domestic and sweet and a lot mm. of things that I don't usually go for, but the writing is just fantastic. I have been completely sold on this pairing. Lepigus has ruined my life again. I do recommend you check this out. I have ruined Macy's life. Can I ruin yours as well? I have no way to watch this show, <laughs> listeners. Literally no way. I have been trying. And Freya has Freya has just been cackling at me. Yes, you I think have. that she's the nice one, but you don't see I listeners. Think, I think listeners who have been with us from the beginning have probably worked out by now <laughs> that all of the niceness of me mm. is a little bit of a front. Let's <laughs> just be, let's be honest there. That's true. That's yeah. true. I mean, we we did call this "Be the Serpent Under It." Like it was right there from the beginning. That's- Anyway, I have also read some actual books. I've read a couple of literary romances, I suppose I'd say. One of them is called Reputation by Lex Croucher. And I'm describing this as Mean Girls meets Mansfield Park. Is it Park? Park or Hall? Mm -hmm. Mansfield Mm -hmm. Park. Uh, It is a Regency set book, which is actually about the terrible decisions you make in your early 20s when you go off to university, (laughs) get in with the wrong crowd, uh, start drinking too much, and... uh, succumbing to being a mean girl except it's set in the regency (laughs) it's delightful amazing (laughs) it's very Very sharp it's very funny Um, i flew through it in two days it's a really good read 
And I also just finished Seven Days in June by Tia Williams, which is, again, I think I would call this a literary romance novel. It definitely does have a second chance romance in it, but it flicks back and forth between uh, how these two people met when they were both 17 and a, a very intense week that they spent together falling in love. And then when they meet again many, many years later, both in their 30s at a literary festival. So they're both <laughs> oh no they're both black authors and they meet at this literary festival for black writers and they have de- dealt with some of their shit and not dealt with some of their shit and she is a paranormal erotica writer and he's Amazing. this kind of like literary darling who's written six or eight books and he just swans away and disappears and, you know, okay. comes up with another one and everyone thinks he's so elusive and amazing. But they have both secretly been mm. writing about and to the other one in their books without ever speaking Aww. for the past have many years. <laughs> it's really delightful. It's very well put together uh, and just, again, very sharp and funny about literary people in general. Like there's some descriptions of them being on mm. panels and the kind of people they are on <laughs> panels with, which is just... Well, oh dear. Superb. So I really, really love that one. I miss bad panels. Mm. I miss bad panels. You know? Do, do you? No, I don't know. I miss like making catty faces at one another when the one dude on the panel won't stop talking. Like I miss the camaraderie. Oh, you know? I don't miss that, honestly. <laughs> like Alex, like the yeah. camaraderie to me is That's not fair. worth it. <laughs> no, I, think- I would I would just rather skip that part. <laughs> <laughs> only only good vibes I mean I respect that you miss it but only good vibes and only good panels is my sort of life philosophy <laughs> I don't know but I have been uh, I, I, I am ashamed to admit no Macy no shame I no deserve shame. to no, be made no fun of for this which is different from being ashamed there we go we, we can have British thing to say I deserve to be made fun of because I accidentally fell into some wrestling RPF well done. Okay. <laughs> I, which I'm not going to quote here because uh, we don't quote RPF directly out of respect for the desire for less attention in those fandoms. But I did mm. and it was amazing. And I don't have regrets, but I do deserve to be made fun of. Um, and also, as aforementioned, um, Gus has ruined my life with Ted Lasso fic. Mm. Um, I don't even go here. All I have are like three gift sets. And a wiki article. So that's where I'm at. Fandoms there. have been built um, on less. Uh, yeah, that's true. I've watched less Gundam Wing and read millions of words of it. So that's not to be unexpected. Mm-hmm. I also powered through... I found a new untamed author who I've really been enjoying. Um, Orange Crushed, uh, who has some great fics, including an art curator fic, um, which I cannot remember how to pronounce the name. So y'all will just have to look it up from the username of the writer, who has just these great poetic turns of phrase um, that really grab my attention. You know, sometimes writers are just cool. New t-shirt. And sometimes new, writers new, are just cool. Sometimes writers are just, sometimes other writers are just good. Um, and I received a parcel today, which I'm very excited about, with the summer novellas from Neon Hemlock. So I have Premier Mohammed's And What Can We Offer You Tonight? Ooh, and I've I have seen that around. That looks really yes. cool. The cover is so It looks so super pretty. cool. There's like cocktails and dreams and like nightclub slash brothels and we'll see how it goes. Um, and also The Necessity of Stars by E. Catherine Tobler. So hopefully I will at some point regain the ability to read books and get to read those. Very good. Very good. Yeah. 
Um, I am continuing my uh, gentle <laughs> saunter through uh, the collected works of Victoria Goddard. Suave uh, stroll. I, I feel you, like you, you suavely stroll. A suave stroll. Sure, one of those. Anyway, um, uh, I just finished reading Love in a Mist mm. by Victoria Goddard, which is the most current book in the Green Wing and Dart uh, series. Uh, the next ones haven't come out yet. This one is they are trapped at a country house oh, no. party yes. by a store and just there's <laughs> and there's a murder <laughs> and uh, there's a spoilery thing, Freya, which remind me to tell you off air, but it's extremely cute. There's also so much fealty and uh, a friendship and some comedy of errors with um, one of the three main characters having this like flirtationship with a young lady and uh, it's good fun times are had by all. Uh, and I have also been uh, watching a lot more of Ask a Mortician. I think I mm, binged mm-hmm. like uh, between last week because we recorded one week ago Friday and this week I binged like her entire back catalogue of videos from like the last nine you years. You must know so much about corpses. I know so much about corpses now. <laughs> and like and the cool practical stuff like oh here's where you find the paperwork to like designate someone as your next of kin and like here's what a death plan is and here's like some of the different decisions you can make about like how mm. you want to be disposed of when you're dead uh and so it's been really cool to think about it and sort i think it's important to kind of confront the reality of our own mortality and to like Mm-hmm. be okay mm-hmm. with that even though it's like a, a scary thing um but like we're so mm-hmm. sheltered mm-hmm. from it in our, our society today we don't get a lot of most of us we don't get a lot of opportunity to to think about that stuff um but i'm sure we will talk more about that in our halloween episode say, this is probably some good scene setting for our spooky yes. episode hmm. i'm excited yeah. for that I think so. I think I was I was uh, suggesting to Macy the ones should be what do you want done Amazing. with your dead body? So start thinking Amazing. about that. I was learning anyway. the other day that there's like a death farm where you can leave your corpse yes. and they'll put it in different environments and yeah, they can yeah, like study yeah. how oh, yeah. it yeah, it's like a, it's, the, it's, a, a for, it's a forensic science research project. Yeah. It's so cool. Anyway, there's there's I believe six of them in uh, the United States and they also do things like sometimes they will fire guns at your corpse and like do stuff with it like not at every corpse right like each one is its own like little experiment but yeah they could probably write a little note that says i would like mushrooms please (laughs) to go with your donation i think i feel like there's very little you can do that won't end up with mushrooms in some way Mm. like if you're going to decay uh if you well if you if you decompose in water that's not so much mushrooms. <laughs> Let's get into Speaking all of that for our Halloween episode. <laughs> We're off topic. Speaking of mushrooms, Freya, would you like to tell us about what our first tentpole? It, no, it's about plants, Macy, because mushrooms are plants. Oh my god. Plants. I will come and find you. <laughs> that, one, that one I did on purpose. That was on purpose. That was on you purpose. You deserve the yelling. You deserve the pitch of my voice right now. Freya. The face you made. Freya, I'm going to mute whatever Macy yells after this. Amazing. Please tell us about Amazing. the next tenfold. All right. So our first tenfold. 
for the episode is a film that I always think of when I'm thinking about really gorgeous forest visuals. And this is Princess Mononoke, which is a Studio Ghibli film. And this film is about a young man called Ashitaka who is cursed by a wound received by a demon that leaves the forest and he has to go on a quest to find out why this spirit of the this god of the forest was turned into a demon in the first place and along the way he comes across a young woman called san who has been adopted by a wolf god and lives with the wolves in the forest as one does (laughs) as one does and is on the side of the forest and trying to stop the humans from chopping it down And he also spends a lot of time interacting Mm -hmm. with the humans who are doing the chopping, which is a mining camp overseen by Lady Eboki. Is that her name? Eboshi. 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 Lady Eboshi. Yeah. Who is an amazing character because you have a lot of sympathy for her and, you know, hashtag girl boss, etc. Good working conditions for women. But also she really is doing a whole lot of deforestation deforestation and mining. And she wants to find the spirit of the forest and chop off his head so that the forest stops fighting back against being deforested. And also so the emperor will, like, leave her be and stop trying yeah, to Yeah, I think I, my brain just soldiers. keeps glossing over everything. Every time the word emperor arrives, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, Marshall, blah, 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 plot, bring back the that forests. Because the forests are yes. very pretty. They're, like, all of, the, all of the visuals in this movie are really beautiful. I think this was the first Ghibli movie that I mm, ever me saw. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and I, it is just such a great one to be introduced to his work with because like it's so striking in its visuals and it has this beautiful scope, um, and mm-hmm. as with several of uh, Ghibli's movies, it has this um, concern with the environment and like our relationship with the environment like human people and industrialization versus nature Mm. like i'm also thinking ponyo yeah i was thinking of ponyo too particularly i was thinking of comparing the sequences after the island is flooded in ponyo Mm. with the sequences in the sacred grove Mm. in the sacred pool and the plants moving underwater um the way that that kind of parallels but i think that the personification of the forest or the anthropomorphism yes. of the forest. I don't know what it is when it's a, an, an it's animal sort of an god. It's an avatar, really. A, a, a spirit god. Avatar. Yes. Yeah. Um, the the manifestation, mm-hmm. I think, then, of the forest into a single sentient being um, really kind of brings a lot of the themes that we're going to be talking about in some of the other pieces as well together, which is a forest is a creature that has opinions and needs and thoughts and actions. Mm. Right in stories, mm. we keep coming back to that. Is that a forest is not just? And a I think there's setting. something about it being a deer shape uh, that makes it feel very mm. iconic for a forest. Uh, and obviously, the Studio Ghibli is a Japanese production company. But I'm thinking about when you have representations of forests in like the Robin Hood legends. It's all about you know you're approaching the king's mm. deer because deer are more or less some of the largest creatures that are part of Mm. that forest ecosystem Mm -hmm. and so you have that image of like the noble stag with the huge antlers and things and you think this is Mm -hmm. the tallest and largest mobile living creature in this forest and so it feels like it it belongs at the top of whatever hierarchy of creature you've got going on Mm. yeah very much in england and like the british isles that's definitely Mm. definitely true i'm also thinking of hannibal and the Mm. black feathered stag yeah there's something very very iconic and Almost like it has to be a symbol about deer and stags. And the, and the whole idea of destroying one 
as a very symbolic act against nature, like hanging up something's antlers on your wall. Mm -hmm. It feels very Mm. correct, I suppose, that they're attempting to chop off the head of a deer creature and take it back as a trophy. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, and sorry, I won't go too far on this one, but you're also making me think of the Mm. only good Indians now and elk uh, and, like, that it is evil to kill just for the sake of killing but that there are respectful ways to hunt Mm. in Mm. a forest and to be basically to admit that you yourself are part of the organism of the forest that Mm. you are an animal too right right? that you're you're eating because that's what an animal Mm. does and what this film is doing is about how does humans coexist responsibly with nature, with the forest right. being the symbol right. of that? You know, you, the people could have lived within the forest or on the outskirts of the forest and probably mm-hmm. could have hunted, but the sin is that they are attempting to destroy the forest itself and reclaim land from the right. forest. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and the idea the heart, that yeah. the, po- the gods of the forest get poisoned and turned into demons that then wreak their revenge on yeah. people because of what the humans yeah, did in the that's, first place. Yeah, that's what I was going to point out, because I think the um, demon, or the the boar god at the beginning of the film was poisoned mm-hmm, because he mm-hmm. was shot mm-hmm. by uh, Eboshi, mm-hmm. Lady Eboshi in one of these guns the, that the, she has made. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to bring in a quote from the closest thing that this film has to a straight bad guy, Um, which is the agent of the emperor who wants to conquer the forest. And he says his theory is the thirst to possess heaven and earth is what makes us human. His argument is we are different from everything else because we seek to subjugate, Mm. which is a villain's argument if ever I heard one, but is also clearly what's Mm. happening in the film. Yeah, absolutely. And on the other hand, you have San who is a very clear kind of fictional Mm -hmm. archetype. Like you think of Mowgli in the Jungle Book. Like it's this idea of the human who has been raised by the wild. And so she becomes Mm. this sort of mini avatar of the forest who is a bridging point because she's human, but also she is very much of the forest and of the creatures of the forest. And Mm. you see that in, I think, a lot of stories that have that tension between the human world and the forest world or the jungle world. Almost like a changeling. Yeah, and there's a lot of discussion in and argument in the in the movie as to to what extent San is and is, and is not human, and and so right, she comes right, into conflict right. with um, Lady Eboshi in that way. Oh, I love the fight scene with her and Eboshi. It's such a such a good scene. Very good film. Shall we move on to the next yes. tentpole? So it has been a hot, hot second since we have tentpoled any Ursula K. Le Guin, and we thought that was a damn, damn shame, dear listeners. So we have tentpoled a short story by uh, her today. Uh, We have Vaster Mm -hmm. Than Empires and More Slow, which is about a group of space explorers who have... Did you guys figure out what the um, acronym was for the kind of travel that they have? It was something faster than light or almost light. Nearly nearly as fast as light. light. (laughs) Nearly as fast as light, yeah. So they are traveling by nearly as fast as light travel. Uh, So even though their journey only takes a very small amount of time, hundreds of years have passed back home. Uh, Mm. So the people that they send on these missions are all kind of like... You know, you gotta be, you gotta have a certain sort of mindset to be willing to do that sort of thing. And so the people that they have picked are all like deeply neurotic, uh, or have, have other kinds of mental, uh, mental, uh, illness or, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, so they come to this planet, which was marked by a 
a cartographer. Uh, mm. And they are doing a survey of it. And they find out that the planet has no animals on it whatsoever. It's just plants, grasslands, forests. Uh, mm. And it's completely empty. And they spend some time wandering around. And one of the characters is a empath. And he <laughs> is terrible. <laughs> uh, and he goes off by himself. And uh, long story short, he and the forest get into this feedback loop of fear and mm-hmm. everything gets mm-hmm. fucked up. Yep. <laughs> that's 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 how sci-fi. That's how that's about as far as I can go without spoiling the end. Um I do want to give a couple content warnings for mm-hmm. um pretty bad Asian slurs and also the um empath character is autistic and I have kind of mixed feelings about how that was handled. Um, well, the, the the empath character is presented as having been cured, have been cured of autism, of autism yes. and being instead given asshole disorder. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> basically, being tra- the act of curing him of autism gave him empathy to the point of like feedback loops with everyone and being a dick to yeah. protect yeah. himself. It's, it's, it's yeah. unfortunate because we, there is some really good stuff happening in terms of a commentary on if you really had a pure, unstoppable empathy, it probably would make you quite misanthropic mm. because you can't turn off people. But it didn't have to, be, didn't because have to be because of. of because no. of the artists. And, and some people are just yeah. assholes and he's a, clearly a bit of a natural asshole and that's okay as well. So yes, it was a bit unfortunate that it was framed around yeah. the autism. Yeah. Yeah. When was this published? Nineteen uh, sixty something. A while, a while ago. I think back. But a, a while, while ago. A while. So it's one of those cases where it's an unfortunate product of its times. Not that that is Indeed. an excuse, but it is helpful to have that as an explanation. Mm. Sometimes I feel. So let's talk about the forest, though, yes. because this was a, yes. a very cool forest. It has the actually, it's not just the forest. We find out it's the entire planet is all linked together into one sort of mind, mm-hmm. one sentience. Which is super cool because I'm looking at this and I'm looking at when it was published and then I'm looking at things like the book The Secret Life of Forests and what we know about mycelial networking between trees on our planet for real today Mm. that we Mm. didn't know back then. And like a lot of this is not a million miles away from true. No. And as soon as I read it, I remembered the uh, Shaking Aspen Forest, which is one tree, which I learned about mm-hmm. on QI, Source of Excellent Facts, uh, which is called Pendo. It has a name because it is a single organism that is just technically a lot of trees, but also one tree. And we're like, is this the heaviest animal on Earth? And we're like, fine. <laughs> organism. Animal. Organism. Animal. organism. Single organism. Yes. I mean, and like... There's so much science that we don't know about plants mm-hmm. yet because, like, what if trees are capable of feeling pain? Like, I mean, what then? Find pain because right, they are right, sort of right. Like, yeah. it, they they can react to damage stimulus. Yes, mm. let's put it that way. Yes, which is like neighborly to yeah to feeling pain. But this pain. is about what is sentience because the idea of having an empath on the ship. Mm. The whole mm-hmm. point was we are likely to come into contact with right. life that we do not recognize as sentient life. And having a sensor, an empath, is is how we're meant to get a right. sense of, oh, there is something here that can think and feel, uh, and here's what it is feeling. But he even mm. the empath takes a while to recognize what's happening because he can't recognize sentience. It's just the emotion. Mm. Well, and it's also super cool when you start looking at how, like, 
we, we talk about like how slime molds can do city planning for us, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, and if you look at the ways that things like molds and lichens and mushrooms and trees um, communicate their equivalent of nerve impulses, it's the difference between how fast can syrup flow through a tube versus how fast can an electrical impulse travel along a neuron which is, I think, exactly what we're seeing in this story. At one point, they try traveling to a different place on the planet to see if the forest will be less mm. scared of them, mm-hmm. um, that, to see if that local forest... And it takes, what, a day? And then suddenly the forest is scared of them again? Because that's the time that it takes for the impulse to physically travel through the root network and the spore network to communicate with itself, because it's just a different time scale to what we think of as thinking. Mm. Right. Right? When all of your thinking is like chemicals like our hormones flowing around rather than impulses like our neurons and i just thought that was so cool and it's doing a lot of different representations what the forest is in this story so when they first land there you get this Mm. really beautiful evocative language about how peaceful it is how there's this weird Mm plant-like silence and it's from the point of view of all of these characters who really do not enjoy being stuck on a ship with a lot of other neurotic people and are quite happy to be out in the the, the silent the silent world surrounded just by plants. Uh, and then once they start recognizing yeah. that they're having an impact and they are scaring it and the terror is coming from the planet and the plant, that's when it starts to again have these themes of, you know, what if we do hurt things that have no voice and what if we do damage by, by our impulse to explore space it's basically, it is also kind of about deforestation. Ugh. Why can't I say that word today? Deforestation. <laughs> and also about colonizer guilt, basically. <laughs> you realize mm. you realize that you haven't said deforestation in a normal way, so I'm going to have to leave in all of the fucked up ways to explain why deforestation is said in a weird I, way. I just, want to st- <laughs> I just want to keep sticking extra eyes into it, and I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> Deforestation. Deforestation. Logging. 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 There you go. Logging. Oh, God. Um, Logging, i.e. writing things down. Anyway, um, it also made me think a little bit of... Have either of you read Semiosis by Sue Burke? Mm -mm. I was on a panel with her uh, a couple of while, that's why I read it. Um, And it has... Its entire thing is um, a group of... Uh, humans land on a planet uh, to colonize it and farm it and they discover tree sentiences and over the generations of humans a single tree sentience kind of develops a relationship with them as a civilization Mm. Um, and there's a lot of cool science stuff Uh, warnings for some quite graphic sexual assault in that book but some very interesting tree science Mm. fiction excellent I think that's the last thing I'd say about this is that to me it felt like a story about The fact that it was so far away and on a different planet was almost incidental. Mm. It felt like this desire to find Mm. something wild that has not yet been explored. Like, you know, we could have found Mm. a a vast intelligence like this in unexplored areas of our own ocean. Like, it's very much about, Mm. you know, finding the Mm. unexplored places. And the forest is representing... Tubeworm sentience. And as I will sure we will talk about... Sponge (laughs) sentience. The forest representing the unknown. I want a coral sentience, Alex. Can I have a coral sentience? Sure, it's called a brain coral. They're pretty cool. You're not supposed to no, touch them. No, you have them. too many story ideas, Macy. You can't have sentient coral. Okay. What if my squid neck... Co- anyway, um, Macy is going to move, move the fuck on. Move yeah, on. Macy is voluntarily moving the fuck away from Wonderful. the brain things. Coral. And two, 
There we go. Thank you. Yes, brain coral. And let's talk about one of my favorite stories um, on the internet and now off the internet, which is Silver in the Wood by Emily Tesh. Um, friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast, friend of the serpents, mm -hmm. uh, generally friend-shaped object. Yes. Which we first came across, I think Freya yeeted this at I me did. when it was still on AO3. Even in the beginning and, of our friendship, uh, I thought, you know what? Yes. Macy would enjoy this. There's plants. This <laughs> was like the thing where I was like, Freya's talking to me a lot about wool. I should make her talk to Alex about wool. <laughs> and when we were just like yeeting interests at one another, in the like weird nerd courting phase of that is friendship. actually what nerd courting is yeah it's like this aligns with an yeah. interest of yours <laughs> i only know how to make friends with someone in one way and that is either by reading their book and then flinging myself at their feet and saying i love mm. you or by throwing my book at their head and hoping that they love me that sounds normal one of those that's normal well yeah. which reminds <laughs> me i will need to get the best starting point of those mortician videos off you alex yes but we're talking about yes. silver in the wood which is an excessively english book in many ways it is a book about caretaking and patience mm -hmm. um and a big buff dude who darns socks a lot mm -hmm. yes and has a cat and so we know that he's a good and dude hair down to his um, elbows down to his elbows it, he's very, very defensive sexy. about the fact that he doesn't have wild hip length hair only Thank his elbows it's, it's only, only elbows, elbows. <laughs> And he washes it regularly, whether he needs to or not. Yes. Um, so Tobias is the green man of Greenhallow Woods. And the green man is a very common kind of archetype in British fiction, in a lot of European fiction, which is the wild man who lives in the woods, who doesn't associate with humans, but cares for the plants and is sometimes the monster, but sometimes defends you from the monster. Mm. And all he wants is to kind of be left in peace, to look out for his rogue dryads and make sure that no one in the nearby village gets eaten by a ghoul mm. and just like kind of chill for 400 years Yeah, he's years kind of like or more. if the witcher was even more antisocial yeah, and he's could just live Geralt. in a cottage. <laughs> and yeah. a homebody. Yeah. And a homebody. Because Geralt is very defined by travelling. But, unfortunately, a suave pretty boy stumbles into his cottage soaked to the skin and attempts to play the only one bed card which Tobias doesn't notice which is delightful um, and uproots all of that I say quite consciously um, and that we will let you discover the uh, places that that story grows on your own Macy but let's talk about <laughs> Green Heller <laughs> I, I will allow the puns I felt like that was almost like tasteful and elegant as yes. puns go. It wasn't too forced. Sure. <laughs> it was so anyway. The, the forest in uh, this book is uh, I think the of the the three it's kind of the well no, uh, Princess Mononoke did some some very like mythological sort of legendary mm. tropes of of what the forest is, but um this is sort of the the a uh, pool of forest tropes from mythology that I'm a little bit more familiar with from uh, the areas of that which I studied. Um, and so it does a lot of that. The The Green Man is is a very uh, prominent figure in a lot of specifically British uh, mythology about the forest, I believe. Is that right? Well, and, and other European, but... Yeah, yeah. So you have the, the forest as kind of like this place of mysteries and possible wonders. And then you also have the forest as this very sinister place where 
like criminals hang out there and and um dangers and and so forth it's very much notting it's playing off of like um robin hood and nottingham Mm. forest um and the untamed pieces Mm. of it but there's also these gorgeous little details at one point when uh, Tobias is, is fighting to bring down a very important, very large tree. He thinks a little bit about how much harder this is than the nicely pollarded trees that the woodcutters grow. So there is also a sense that this forest is simultaneously primeval and 3,000 years old, but also a cultivated space in which humans are animals part of the ecosystem who have been interacting and giving brambles to giving giving blackberries to the old altar in the middle of the woods uh, because yeah. there's no such thing as a quote-unquote virgin forest anywhere in the world that's not how this works humans have impact on every ecosystem including many that uh racist historical things would rather that we didn't believe you know the the american mythos of the untouched wilds right because deeply those, false that right those were extremely extremely cultivated like just extremely right. cultivated yes um and so in some ways yeah. the cultivation of this feels more familiar because it is british which is kind of a dominant like an overly dominant paradigm things like jrr tolkien right mm. um a lot of the similar stuff we're seeing mm. here yes uh, yeah i think in their own way all of these temples are about that relationship between the human trying to coexist Mm, with the forest mm -hmm. and i I think it's interesting that all of them do that via having some kind of avatar figure Uh, and Mm. you know even princess mononoke in some way you've got san being a kind of human spokesperson for the forest Mm -hmm. but you also have the spirit of the forest itself Um, and then you've got the empath becoming a spokesperson you know of something that is too large and too wild to have a human voice not to be excessively Catholic, but the word intercessor mm. yeah, absolutely. comes to mind. Yeah, so an avatar or an intercessor. Um, and in this one, you have Tobias as the human intercessor, except he's not quite human, except he began as human. And that's very important, right. the idea right. that he is both more than human, uh, but was human way back in his yes. past. He's kind of like a fly preserved in amber. Well, so he's been given, he's been given more. He? He's human plus. Like he has the things like mm. where he now, when he chops off his nails or his hair, it turns into dried leaves. He has a certain ability to sense the forest that is superhuman. Like he can do things that humans can't because the forest has right. accepted him. And it's about that balance again between power and responsibility. You know, you have been given these gifts by the forest because you have accepted caretaker responsibility for it. Right, right. And so in that sense, he's kind of like, um, I forget. I'm sorry, it's very, it's already very hot in my room, so I have already lost the ability to think. Um, So he's quite comparable to Sen in that way from Princess Mononoke Mm. because he's that, he's sort of straddling straddling that boundary between the human world and Mm. the natural world. Well, and I think there's also an interesting point that Silver and the Wood makes in the difference between Tobias and Silver, and this will be a mild spoiler, so skip a minute if you haven't read this book yet. Um... But in that Tobias fell to the forest and accepted it, Silver chose the yeah, forest. Yeah, and they make a big mm. distinction about that. Mm-hmm. When he goes to it, right? He made active I mean, choices. Technically, whereas Tobias yeah. didn't have. I mean, any. technically, he didn't make the choice to be sacrificed any more than Tobias did, but he definitely made the, the ch- 
he sought yeah yeah he sorted out he was the one who went walking on the paths on the the one day that he knew it was probably going to be dangerous to go walking on the paths because he is a folklorist with no impulse control uh, he's a horrible 23 yes. year old and I wanted to say that before who amongst us hasn't been a horrible 23 year old folklorist he just wants to climb the buff man like a yeah, tree quite literally who amongst us hasn't been <laughs> continue please the sapphics are like maybe well before we move on to more general discussion I wanted to say that the book that I've read most recently that also does this idea of a human person being mm. an avatar of the forest and a caretaker and also getting weird fucky plant magic because of that avatarship um is for the wolf by hannah witten mm. um, which does the whole red riding hood slash beauty and the beast thing of a young girl going into the forest which is going to be dangerous and she has to seek out the wolf who might kill her or abduct her uh, but the wolf turns out to be somebody who has that kind of push pull i'm trapped in the forest but i serve mm. the forest relationship oh very mm. good well, and because you said that, I will mention very briefly the um, this is handled very differently in the book Hild, um, where the narrator uses her own like mind and imagination to pretend to be a seer to preserve her life by interpreting signs from nature. Um, and so she puts herself symbolically as that intercessor, even though there's no magic involved, there's no actual power. It's just purely her spotting patterns, mm. which is a super cool subversion. That is interesting because in, in, in a way, opinion. the nature is actually protecting her by giving her power. And and so I can see, having read Hilt, I can see that she then feels that responsibility towards the land because... Mm being able to look oh look there are this many blackbirds and they're coming from this direction and that means that there'll be a storm and everyone's like oh wow such right. magic and she's like nope that's just what birds do with storms <laughs> nope, but nobody just... else has noticed that yet <laughs> <laughs> and i will repay the forest by making all of the king's men clear away the brush so that the animals can eat this winter because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i know it's going to be a hard one uh, yeah. but we have many more things let's talk more about forests Yes, so I have I have built us a taxonomy of some of the roles that nature can play in mm-hmm. stories. Mm. Um, and I kind of broke it down to four different things, uh, which is it can be the enemy, the threat. It can be the victim mm-hmm. of the protagonist. It can be kind of a collaborator, an ally, another player that isn't necessarily opposed or directly hurt by. Mm. Or it can just be an object. It can just be a setting. Um, it can purely be for decoration, which kind of in Hild, it's more like that. Hmm. I like that. That's a nice taxonomy. I think I like that in fantasy, the collaborator slash ally section be- can become very explicit because you can have the sentience. Mm. You can have the forest is magical mm. and it is on your side or the forest is magical and it is your enemy. Like you can really play up, (laughs) you can really make it concrete the extent to which nature or a forest or the plant magic can be on someone's side or playing an active role in story. Um, And I think most uh, in most of mythology, the forest is kind of the avatar of the unknown. Um, Because Mm. you said a couple minutes ago, Macy, um, you made a comment about how there are no virgin forests. And I want to clarify that there are no virgin forests now because there were there were back in back in the day and like. Um, hundreds of years ago, one of the reasons why you had to stay on the paths was because the forests were literally so thick that you could not walk through them. It would, you would be like hacking your way through the underbrush. Um, 
and it would be almost impossible to make any any headway, which was part of why the Romans uh, laying roads made such a big difference because travel really was that difficult. Mm. Um, so yeah, you you go into the forest and it is kind of this liminal space, this place between places because the mm. rules and the laws of human civilization can't reach mm. you there. So criminals and exiles and outlaws would often be sent into the forests to sort of rebuild communities there outside of the, um, the rest of society. Uh, or, um, you know, you have the fairy tales about like, oh, you have to, if you're going to grandmother's house in the woods, you have to lay breadcrumbs as you go so that you can find your way back or you can't step off the path. Otherwise, they'll get you. Mm-hmm. And the way what you were saying about it being a space between other spaces makes me think about how it is used in high fantasy. Like if you think of fantasy mm-hmm. maps, you open it up and you look at it and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, there's the dark woods or the forest of X. And you can tell at some point the story and the quest will go through the forest. But the forest itself is never a destination. And like it's very Tolkien, you know, the, going through the forest and there's giant spiders in The Hobbit or yeah. going through the forest and maybe there's good wood elves there, but it is always a mm. path somewhere, maybe a way station, mm. but it's, it's usually an obstacle. You have to get through the dark, yeah. mysterious forest on your way to the place where you're trying to get to. And so it's being presented as, as something that is standing in your way. It's both Harry Potter's Forbidden Forest and Naomi Novik in um, Spinning Silver, right? It's the 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 dark woods. The uh, there are mo- here there be dragons, yeah. except not dragons. So it might be a- terrifying fucking spiders mm. repeatedly. Why? <laughs> yeah, and I think co- coming on from that, I had a, a lesser taxonomy of you know mm. the, the mm-hmm. metaphorical versions of woods when we were thinking about fantasy stories like mm-hmm. uh, Spinning Silver. And you're absolutely right that you've got this idea of the enemy, like the, the forest is dangerous. You've got this place of, you know, you can't see the danger because it's so thick and you have to stay on the path and there's danger mm-hmm. there. Um, but also you can have the, the woods as like a place of mystery that might actually be not entirely bad, that there could be good things to be found in the forest. Like sometimes you have to go into the forest Mm. to find something as part of your quest. And that's a very, that is the whole basis of the musical Into the Woods. You know, the entire... (laughs) But it's also Silver silver in the Wood from the point of view of Silver. Yeah, you're going going into the woods as a part of a personal quest. And in that that kind kind of story, the woods might be a catalyst for your personal story. And so the line from the first mm. song of Into the Woods is Into the Woods to get the thing that makes it worth the journeying. Like you're going in, mm. you're finding something, and the idea is you will come out again. And you're getting the yeah. fuck out. Uh, but yeah. story happens in the woods. Because story, as mm. we know from like boiling down things to the very, very basics, is a person wants a thing, something gets in their way. And mm. liminal space is where adventure happens. Mm. Like you have to, you have to like cross that threshold out of the civilized world and into the unknown. Mm. But when it comes to, yeah. to woods and forest as like collaborator and ally, I think if you combine that with mm. setting, you end up with a slightly different type of story. And I've been thinking about this one because I just read Sorrowland by Rivers Sullivan, where uh-huh. the woods are seen as freedom. And this is a Robin Hood thing as well. This is like the lawness, the lawlessness yes. Yes. is freedom. You are escaping from the structures mm. of the world, the oppression of the world, the danger of the world, and you are fleeing into the woods 
where you can be free and where even though they are dangerous, they are better than the alternative. You're making me think of black sails. Oh yes. Are we going to talk the ways in which the sea and the forest are the same? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, in they this are the same. specific sense, right? And the sense of it being a liminal, infinite space where anyone could disappear and be anywhere in it and you just can't tell. Mm. Like you right. don't know what's out there. Um, and right. it's freedom to some and terror to others. Yeah. Right? Because pirates come in from the sea. I'm thinking of the opening of the TV show Vikings, mm-hmm. right? Where Lindisfarne is attacked from the sea. And it's almost as if they were attacked from people from another world, like the beginning of an Eric Feist book, mm. right? right? It's just as mysterious to them as the portals opening on Feist's characters in The Magician. Um, or as like the peoples of Egypt being attacked by the sea peoples in 1177 BC. Um, yeah, that's and for cool. Char- and I for like a character that. in that kind of story, the as a character, you are sort of unconsciously agreeing to become part of the ecosystem. You're saying, "I'm going yeah. into the woods seeking shelter, um, and I'm going to not take too much, but I can find sustenance here." Like that's the Robin Hood thing again. Like we will hunt the deer and we will coexist in the forest and. Katniss at the start of the Hunger Games she Mm. goes into the forest to find sustenance for her family in a way that she can't find in the quote civilized world well and I think that this is wilderness as much as it is forest like you could imagine the exact same thing in the setting like the west world um, or the great plains or the mountains right Um, so it's different types of nature I think can serve this purpose Mm. Um, that's cool but I also wanted us to mention some of our favourites when it came to live-action forests. Yes. <laughs> uh, my, my first thought now when I'm being mildly a troll is the Vancouver forests that all of the sci-fi TV shows used repeatedly in things like Stargate Atlantis, where all of the alien worlds just, just forest. like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was that also, like, uh, the forest moon of Endor? That's a very Star specific Wars? one, I think. Like, Endor is a really specific forest with really, like, um, iconic-looking trees. Yeah. And that's probably the first one that I think of if I'm thinking of, like, science fiction mm-hmm. and fantasy forest settings. Yeah. Definitely. The forest moon of mm-hmm. Endor and, like, you know, the Ewoks and riding, riding those flyers and then hitting logs. <laughs> Whereas the one that I very nearly suggested as a tentpole for this episode um, was Black Spot, um, also known as Zone Blanche uh, in French, which is a TV show two seasons long. The second one inexplicably includes time-traveling Romans, um, but it's mostly about a small backcountry town a police detective uh, solving murder mysteries, except that there is a deeply creepy forest and some possessed crows and episode two, which I advise starting in because episode one has some dodgy plot stuff, involves a wolf giving her a baby that it finds in a cardboard box. Because... Sure. Why not? Like, the forest is about, like, a third of the screen time. And I love it I mean, that's a lot. That's a very interesting image. Like, it's a, the reversal of that, like, you know, the foundling raised by wolves. It's like a wolf is like, I don't know what to do with this. This isn't mine. You take it. <laughs> There's just, there's just so much stuff. And it's a French show that doesn't feel any need to particularly explain itself ever. It's not clear if the forest is magical or not. At some point, the detective gets shot and then buried in moss and then is healed when she comes back out. And it's like, did she actually get shot or not? We don't know. Sometimes the trees bleed to point you to a murder that you need to solve. 
is that literally happening? Who knows? Woods are mysterious. Uh, television. Could be real. <laughs> before So before we started recording this episode, we had a brief moment of mocking each other for who put Avatar on this list. I want to tell you, dear listeners, how this is on the dot points. It's dot, 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 Avatar. Dot, 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 dot. I'm just going to decrease the font size so that it represents what Alex just said yes. verbally. There we go. Make I've now made the font tiny. Yes. And the reason it is represented Make like the that tiny. is because... This is good. This is good radio. <laughs> the many, many dots that I ringed Avatar with represent my deep ambivalence at being forced to discuss James Cameron's Avatar. We are not talking about The Last Airbender. But the telepathy We're talking tentacles, about the, one with the telepathy tentacles and the blue people. <laughs> I think if you asked sort of the average person who maybe doesn't watch a great deal of science fiction and fantasy about, you know, can you think of a very striking forest that was portrayed on screen? Like the whole point of Avatar was that it's this, you know, untouched nature, this beautiful, beautiful forest in which the sentient beings are living, you know, very peacefully and symbiotically. And for all its faults, and it does have faults, it is a very beautiful film. Yes. It does a lot of CGI. Uh, yeah, it's basically it's, it's like, Pocahontas, but yep. with blue it's aliens and ableism. Naked and blue. <laughs> I've never and seen naked. it. Yeah, the, yeah. the most striking yeah. fact that 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 really stands out is the fact that they have these like wonderful steed creatures that they communicate with telepathically by braiding their hair into the horse's hair. They also have sex by winding your hair with another person's hair. So, so it's like, are you are fucking, you fucking your telepathic horse? Like, <gasps> and it's not a horse; it's a pterodactyl. To be clear, well, yeah, here, I to mean, give like, you an image. Yeah. In, in, when we say like horse like, stories, it's it's a pterodactyl, <laughs> but like it's a horse. <laughs> okay, listen a poll, dear listeners. Whom amongst you would not fuck a pterodactyl? Anyway, wow! This is, tell us. See, in the this is why I put a lot of dots around Avatar because I had a feeling this would happen. <laughs> Can we talk about Annihilation instead? Sure. If we had a whole episode about Annihilation, but sure, we can revisit we Annihilation. Didn't, we didn't again. really talk well, very briefly. We had one third of an episode. This... We had one third of an episode about Annihilation. Well, okay. Let's talk about, let's well, talk about the nature. Briefly, we can talk about it now. And we didn't talk about nature. We were talking about horror um, in that episode. So uh, specifically, Annihilation has this really cool thing where these people just like have grown into plants and the next exploratory team that comes through just sees these like figures that are shaped like humans but are like bushes and it's really really creepy and evocative while being like a completely silent set piece with no words and it's just one of those really cool things that visual media can do in such an effective way that just doesn't really exist on the page. Mm. I just thought that was me. I think I think mm. modern horror is having a really good moment with a capital M mm. when it comes to plant body horror and also subgroup, not plant, thank you Macy, <gasps> mushroom body horror. <laughs> like there's a whole lot of stuff there to do with the interaction between the human and the na- and the natural that really internalizes mm. it. It's rather than human goes into forest, it's plant goes into human. It's not a plot. It's not a plot. It's not Okay, nature goes into human in form of yes. fungus. Yes, um, because, no, the ways that fungus, quote unquote, eat are super cool and weird and disgusting. And y'all should read Entangled Life if you're interested in that because it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I won't go too deep on that because we're running lower on time. 
I mean, we have we have like a whole section of dot points here. Macy nonfic Rex, Rex corner, corner, which I we think, I think, I think seem to have gotten that, here. That sounds fun. Macy, go. Okay, you do have well, some cool nonfic Rex. I, I have a bunch of cool nonfic Rex. Um, mostly, I just put a list here so that I would remember them. But um, cool existential stuff around what it means to be alive and also how mushrooms work uh, is entangled life. Um, there is a YouTube video of the author Merlin Sheldrake. Oh, that guy. Growing yeah. mushrooms out of his book and then consuming them and then telling the camera very straight-lacedly that he has eaten his words. Um, what, are they called like I'm in love with him and I will marry him. There's something to do with I, like what you're called if you study mushrooms. I think it's like my, my, myceliologist. Or... Mycelius? I don't know. Mycologist? Mycologist, yeah. There, there you go. go. Putting, I'm just but putting yeah, extra I, eyes I, and things again today. Michael. I did watch that video and I was like, this seems like an Alex appropriate boy. <laughs> I am in love with him and I will marry him. <laughs> His name is Merlin Sheldrake. Which is very, very which, British which, and willing. Which is the n- kind of name you want a mycologist to have, Merlin exactly. Sheldrake. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's a very good book. Strongly recommend that. My baby sister bought it for me because she's cool. Um, and because I only let my family buy me nonfic. Um, then Citation needed a... on little sisters being cool. Please continue. <laughs> Mine is. She just got a new job fixing rivers. Okay, that's She's pretty cool. Getting that's paid pretty cool. to fix rivers. Cool. Well, possibly with beavers. There you go. Well, my sister looks after bugs in a scientific collection. I love her. She is also amazing. We should make our sisters have a my club. My sister harvested a lot of blackberries and blueberries from the bushes in her yard this summer. Oh, nice. So that's pretty cool. Okay, so so are all of cool. our younger sisters secretly like. Nature cryptid? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I respect that. I, I would respect that. Um, other book recs, um, if you would like a book by a, a Native American um, uh, professor of, I don't mean biology, I mean botany, um, then you should look at Braiding Sweetgrass, which has lots of like essays that kind of merge the personal and the scientific. It's a very good book. Um, then if you would like something that is somewhat more of a dense tome, I strongly advise reading, if you live on the American continent on Turtle Island, reading the book 1491, which talks a lot about what was here before Columbus quote unquote discovered this continent, Mm -hmm. um, and all of the ways that the land and nature had been cared for and chosen by the people who lived here. Um, other books include Eager, which is all about beavers, but also about how a single species interacts and forms an ecosystem. And there's a lot of plant stuff there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hidden Life of Trees, which has all sorts of cool stuff about how trees talk to each other beneath the ground. And Around the World in 80 Trees, which would teach Freya how to recognize a sycamore. Oh yes, yeah, that was the other gremlin moment we had immediately before before recording. <laughs> there was like a whole tangent about what is a, what does a sycamore look like? Oh, that's how it came up because Macy was going to try to get us copyright violated again. <laughs> I loved I to copyright well, violate. While we are in that particular non-fit corner, I will recommend a book which I haven't read, but my mother has read and really um, enjoyed it. And it's very much, I think, in the same vein as... Um, the 1491 which is called the biggest estate on earth how aborigines made australia and it's about the land management of aboriginal Mm. australians before uh, it was colonized by white people so very cool very cool um 
I realised that I accidentally skipped us over the intro section that I intended to do earlier and above. Dun, 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 uh, dun. Oh, yeah. Which, which one? Oh, this one. Yes. Whoops. Yeah, cool. Let's yeah, we can, so I was going we to can, ask. We can do that now that. and have it have it be like, that a, like a good wrapping it up. Wrap up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I was going to ask the other serpents. The other serp. I nearly said the other servants, and that's not what I mean. You meant slurpents. I was going to ask. You meant slurpents. There we slurpents. go. I was going to ask all of us slurpents, um, you know, what is a forest to you? What, why do or don't you like them in stories, in life? Tell me about your forest. Well, okay, so if, if the reasons that I don't like them is a valid answer to the question. They have a lot of bugs in yeah. them. They're often very... That's true. They, just so many bugs. It's often like hot and sweaty and just many bugs when you're walking through them. <laughs> I mean, forests are generally like... 10 degrees cooler than places that aren't forests. I mean, I haven't been in that many forests. And okay. and most of it's the bad. forests that I've been in have been in, like, Florida, where oh. everything is the same temperature all of the time and it's wet. So, well, so... All right, Alex. <laughs> I, next time you come to Seattle, will take you to a nice forest. A nice forest. For not too long. Okay. And I will introduce you to some well-behaved, mannerly trees. <laughs> Freya, save me. Okay. Macy's gonna murder me in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possibly. Maybe even get you some moss to well, pet. I was well, wondering I when the fuck moss was gonna come up. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. I will... doesn't come up. It's Macy, not very good at Macy that. Macy was saying, I will introduce you to some, and in my brain, I was I was going like, this motherfucker's about to say she's gonna introduce me to some moss. If she doesn't, I will kill her in the forest. <laughs> Oh, according to this TV show, she might shoot you, wrap you in some moss, and then you could emerge. I have never fired a gun in my life. I have a machete. Wonderful. Anyway, moving us from that, I will say Australia has great forest variety because we have been talking very much about forests and woods, but in Australia we have the bush. Mm. Yes. Which is more or less forest and wilderness uh, uh, by the definitions that we're working with here. But it definitely has its own vibe. Like, the bush is its own thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And But we do have forests as well. We have temperate rainforests and we have tropical rainforests. And some of the tropical rainforests in the far north of Australia are pretty stunning. So to mm. me, forests are wonderful places to visit. I am less keen on the bush when I have to walk through it. It's quite <laughs> nice to observe. But I have been deeply scarred by a year nine camp which was nine days of camping in the bush under a plastic sheet, on a plastic sheet, waking up with giant spiders everywhere. It was not no. a good time. No, thank you. So no, thank you, sir. I have a great respect re- for the forests of Australia, but I, I would like them to stay slightly further away from me. Thank you. I feel like everything I know about the Australian bush comes from tomorrow when the world began. The war began? What? What? Yes, that one. Yes. Tomorrow when the war began. Yes. Which is a terrifying book. Mm. Um, mm. Uh Macy is going to be reasonably restrained because I could wax on about forests for a while, but I write about them a lot. Um, And I was thinking about why forests draw me in a story as a setting. And the thing for me is really that a forest is a form of immortality because it's made of lots of dying individual creatures. Mm who cycle through and become part of the soil and become part of the worms and then part of the trees, which are then eaten by the animals, which fall to die again. 
And that is a form of resurrection, which I find fascinating um, and want to dig into. I do want to remind you, Macy, that you are doing the intro outro for this episode. Do you want to leave yourself some cool <laughs> shit to I'm, say that? I am you just 100% gonna... sure she will dig up some more shit to talk about. <laughs> Let's all let's all sort of end the episode here and see what cool shit future Macy comes up to tell us about in the outro. Hey everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. There's something comforting to me about trees. They're so much bigger than us, but they suffer storms and injury and growth just like we do. They have scars and they curve around obstacles and shift with the seasons. And they're communal. We just keep learning more and more about how interwoven a forest really is, the ways they care for each other. Sometimes trees are born without the ability to make chlorophyll, they're albino and uh, disabled, I suppose, they survive thanks to the interwoven roots of those around them. They survive because other trees say to themselves, I have an abundance. Here, eat from what I've made. And what's fiction for, if not finding meaning in stories like that? But we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, Two weeks hence on September 21st, we'll be discussing Tasha Suri's book, The Jasmine Throne. That's right, it's a deep dive episode. I strongly encourage you to read that in advance. We don't want spoilers after all. Also, it's just a very good book. And if you have friends who are into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, and if you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, the next time you pass under a tree, take a second to notice it. It'll notice you back. It's grateful, after all, for how good you are at exhaling the carbon dioxide it needs to breathe.